Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back, canoe racing fans. This is your host, Kevin Olson, and I am here with my co-host, Bill Mahaffey. How are we doing today, Bill? Well, Kevin Olson, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for co-hosting the day. I got to tell you, full disclosure, I am dealing with a case of the PMDs, man. I am one cranky, ornery dude, like oscillating between the ultimate highs and the ultimate lows, because here we are. A little over a month away. Well, I guess not away, but post-marathon. I can't even think straight. Hey, we got a good guest on today, though, right, Kevin? Yes, we do. We have the the stats guy himself, Ryan Matthews. So this is our second post-marathon show. And today we're going to be breaking down all of the records that were broken. It's a record-breaking year of record-breaking. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, How are you doing today, Ryan? Do we need like a, a PMD group hug? Are you with me? Or? Oh, man, the, the post-marathon depression is definitely uh, kicking my butt. I've had a lot of work to do, so it's been keeping my mind off it. But, I, you know, the work's ongoing. I, I still haven't got all the stats done. And I, I was uh, going to say, are, are you are you done, or are we pulling you away from the very important work that you should be doing? I've got about half of it done at this point. There's just so much that I keep track of anymore that it's impossible to get get everything done right away. But I've got most of the the stuff that people love to see right away done. And and we paddlers do love to see stuff like that's that's kind of what we do. On a normal year, Ryan, how long does it normally take? Is this taking you absorbently more amount of time, or is it just normal? Uh, it's definitely taking me more amount of time, just because there's so much new records. I mean, you know, I I have files that I keep track of on my computer, and then everything that you know that gets broken, all the records get broken, get updated on our website, and it's just a lot of you know information to go back and forth, back and forth, and, and, and update. A typical year, about three weeks, is usually I get most everything done, except for the little projects that I save for myself during the off-season. But this year, yeah, it's definitely a lot more. Gotcha. Now, explain to me, guys, how what your PMD symptoms are like. Because I don't, I'm not having it this year, but that's because of my own personal experience with the marathon and everything. It's a great race, great great time and everything, but I had a lot of stress going into it. So, <laughs> um, so tell me what you guys are feeling in post marathon depression. For me, it's kind of just feels like a deflated balloon. You know, it, it, I'm a volunteer and a committee member. We we put a lot of hours into planning this thing, and and when it's over, it, it's a it's a feeling of accomplishment for sure, and then a short feeling of relief because we immediately start planning for next year and and you know it, it just you have this big build up and then a lot of excitement and then now it's it's over and, and it's you know kind of sad knowing you have to wait a whole other year for this this event again yeah yep. man it uh it's not kind of sad it it is sad let's just call it sad it's a happy sad but it's still sad because you got a long time to wait for the next one as a, I don't know if I want to call myself an action junkie or an endorphin fiend or something of that nature. It, 
it's really hard because you build up and you get this this great release and this great accomplishment and it, it takes your body a little bit of time to kind of dial itself back in even after you're done because it's not used to doing this and you, you ride like the roller coasters of the highs and you're the happiest man alive and woohoo yeah and then you're like oh man i think i'm just gonna drink beer and eat pretzel rods um <laughs> maybe maybe i'm just yeah maybe i'm a, don't don't mind the crunching because I literally got the pe- the pretzel rods right here. Judge away, baby. But I'm gonna just eat my pretzel rods and drink beer and wait for next year. So so you decided to go with the bulk status? Huh. Yes, yes, I did. I have officially went bulk. I've hit like 165.7 pounds, man. I am full blown. The bulk is on. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we get right into it? Let's uh, let's talk about the whole week as a whole and start there, and then we can break it down a little bit by bit, and then we'll start getting deeper and deeper into all these records that were broken. So let's let's chat about how the weather conditions and and everything leading up to the marathon went. What's your guys' take? Well, our, our showdown actually started i would say as far back as spikes you could see it brewing with with the, with the winter of spikes and all the talk around the weather and then ryan how did the dash for cash go like how did things look over there for the dash the dash for cash went great the dash is on tuesday of race week and it's the consumers energy dash of cash it's presented by gilbert drag of Ascoda. and we had a lot of good teams i believe we had 28 teams in total or, yeah, and Davis and Shane McDowell ended up winning that, and they beat out Matt Mearsman and Weston Willoughby in the in the final heat there, and that got some people talking about how Mike and, and Shane were going to do in the marathon, and, you know, the, the attendance was really good for the dash in terms of, you know, paddlers and spectators, and, and weather was almost perfect, and the last last sprint of the day i believe even had a, a plane fly over kind of on accident but it was pretty neat that's cool so now you know um i think we should uh back up a little bit and just say that you know with spikes there was a the water was really fast because there was uh some rain before and then it didn't really rain much of marathon week correct yes spikes was pretty fast uh you know jordan wakeley set the record in the c1 race on Saturday, and and then, if I'm not mistaken, West and Weston had the fifth fastest all-time spikes race uh, finish. So you know, the water was definitely fast for spikes, but it you know the water was dropping pretty fast during race week, up until you know Saturday night, Sunday or uh, Friday night, Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's something that I think that people that um, weren't there might not know so i definitely wanted to get that out there before we get into the rest of it so i know when i came in on wednesday we can talk about the sprints and everything the weather was beautiful beautiful weather also means uh uh, water's dropping at a consistent rate so i remember looking at the anticipated uh winning time and it was just dropping and dropping and we we were kind of talking over that time that we thought it was going to be a a slower than normal year, but it didn't end up happening to me that way. <laughs> oh, that rainstorm definitely uh, changed the whole dynamic of the race. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so sprints were Wednesday through Friday. Um, 
did we see anything out of sprints that that surprised us? Well, I I would say uh, no. I I would say that the teams that we expected to sprint sprinted where we expected to sprint. At least for me personally, um, everybody kind of fell where I thought they were going to fall. The one standout to me that really like raised some eyebrows in their their sprint was Zav and Matt Gabriel. I, I don't think anybody had them sprinting in fifth place. Um, and here they were on the front row going, hey, guys, we're here and we're for real, right? That that was a statement by them. Uh, mad props. Their sprint was great. So it was. Yeah, they had an excellent Brian, sprint. Brian, was there anybody that stood out to you? Uh, definitely Zav and Gabriel. Uh, their improvement over the last couple of years was very apparent just in their sprint. Some others that stuck out to me, you know, Greg Zofi and, and Jeremiah Mank out of Minnesota, I think that's the highest either one of them has ever started. They started 25th. That one definitely stuck out. I'm just trying to look through the the sprints uh, results now as we as we're we're looking at this, but um, it's interesting to always look at the the how the sprints start and then how the the finish end ended. Man, like um, I, I will say one one other team that if if we're Going through in a in a different dimension, I guess outside of the top five, top ten, one team that stood out to me was the Wisconsin guys. Um, Judd and Dan had a I was like, holy crap, these, these guys are for real. A pair of rookies from Wisconsin. They they sprinted somewhere in the twenties, if I remember correctly, weren't they? I, I don't have the results pulled up. They Dan started twenty ninth. Okay, yeah, I, I knew it was in the twenties. So I was that was very impressive in my mind. Um, Kind of serve a notice that they were there to play. Oh yeah, those guys. Uh, I I, I care with those guys uh, because we were, we were right behind them. So I, uh, yeah. yeah, we had we had some good conversations with those guys. Yeah, so, props to those did guys. You? Okay. Yeah, we paddled with them uh, throughout the throughout the course of the evening too. <laughs> and the, the team yeah, that they, had the biggest jump from from start to finish was Brian Jones and Gwen Gwen Hills. They they made up 21 spots from where they started. Texas. Now, um, Ryan, you we've chatted in the past about because uh, it was a full moon, and uh, in the past you said that that typically um, ends up that more teams end up dropping out. Um, did you find that to be the case this year? Actually, no. the The DNF percentage was uh, a bit. Uh, lower than typical it's been you know the the last i don't know 10 or so years the the dnf percentage has been right around 15 percent and historically is it's around 20 percent and this year was we only had 10 drops out of 83 uh teams that started so the the full moon didn't didn't seem to be an issue like it has been in some years i i know the from conversations i've had with different paddlers the, the full moon is kind of um, you know, you either love it or you hate it. Some people like everything illuminated and other people don't like that the sun casts shadow or the moon casts shadows on everything. So it's it's personal preference, but, you know, historically, full moon and new moon sees the most DNFs. Yeah. It, Is it, that uh, kind of like Coke and Pepsi? Like, I like Coke, but if you like Pepsi, you're not wrong either? Or? I mean, I, I suppose so. I it, It's all... You know, myself, I, I paddled once in a full moon and, and I didn't like it uh, myself, but I know a lot of people who 
absolutely love it because they don't have to run with their light on. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed there were teams that weren't running with their lights on. Sure, they just um, go dark. Yep. Yeah, there was that. Exactly. But then the, there definitely was a you know a, a fair bit of uh, fog um, on the river all night too. So I don't know how much that uh, you know weakens the the full moon effect. Um, what do you think, though? I, I don't know. I, I think it's hard to say. The the fog. Um, for me, anyways, comes more into play with lighting, so it does. Um, and we can get into lights and stuff like that a little further on into the show. I don't know that this is the place for it, but with the fog, some lights seem to pierce that fog, right, mm-hmm. um, and really penetrate it. And other lights tend to just make it look like a wall right in front of you. I I have no idea what or why. I'm not a lighting guy, uh, yeah. but I would rather with the fog run just pitch dark and go off of my senses than I would deal with a a light that just turns into a brick wall in front of me yeah I um I noticed that with um, with with our light when we turned it on the higher setting um but the light that I was running had a, a dual beam so basically had a beam okay um a beam that goes straight out and then a beam that goes down um it's a you know a bike light made by phoenix and uh so when i had it on the lower setting it's just going like i had and i had it tilted down so it would automatically be going down because i don't need to see up um but i uh i kept it run on the either the lowest or the next up setting you know i got lost in the in the race but um i know that the higher settings there's two more higher settings i could i didn't even touch those I think I had it had it on once for about 30 seconds, um, and because when I put it up there, then then it would it would basically turn the fog into a wall, and then uh, yeah. So, and I think that's a you know it's very similar to like uh, fog lights on a on a on a vehicle like on your car too. That's why they have them low. Right. That 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 that's why they're there. You got high, low, and fog. So absolutely, yeah. Right. Rather than go too far down the lights thing, let's circle back mm-hmm. to that in a bit. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, can you give us a rundown just on the uh, the general overall results? Fill in anybody that wasn't there with it. You know, let's uh, let's go top ten. Let's hit all the divisions, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Um, let me open up my page here. Sorry so, to put you on the spot, man. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, the top ten. Uh, this is one of the toughest fields we've had in a long time, and and it speaks even more to the fact how good everybody's been getting and and we didn't even have many canadians so that really really speaks to how competitive the the sport in general has been has been getting getting with the top 10 uh starting 10th and i'll work my way up uh 10th was nick walton and serge page and they had a time of 14 27 48 uh, 9th uh, Patrick Madden and Steve Watson, only seven seconds ahead of them for the first place Masters team. Eighth was Brett Stockton and Ryan Halstead. Seventh was Kyle Miner and Kyle Stonehouse. And uh, Kyle, you know, was injured injured his leg right at the start, and he he did that whole race with that uh, pulled pulled calf muscle in his leg, and um, that was really impressive seeing him. Just really grind it out. Did you see out. the video of him at, at Mayo? Yeah, 
like doing the port of dip mayo did you see that one or no i did not oh it, it looks excruciating he really is a honey badger that guy isn't human that's he he's toughest dude i've ever met man i can't imagine how much that hurt especially on the portages but that's just incredible um <laughs> sixth moving moving on uh sixth place ryan zavril matt gabriel jr uh i believe that's ryan's first top 10 finish and it was gabriel's best finish to date fifth place was pete mead and carson burmeister fourth place was mike davis shane mcdowell third was chris isendorf and logan minor top Texas team. Uh, second was Wesley Dean, Weston Willoughby, which is both of their best finishes. And then first was Jordan Wakeley and Matt Mearson, uh setting the all-time marathon record at 1354.09. In a Savage River, JD Pro 2 selected because the bow seat was comfortable. Just wanted to point that out, as, as noted in our last episode. <laughs> yeah. Right, yep. So the, cool, the, the division winners, I didn't want to skip those at all. I just had to look, uh, look up the list here. Uh, for the women's division, uh, Caitlin Miner and Virginia Condi. They finished 30, yep, 37th overall, 15-56-08. Um, yeah, but, they they uh, they came by us in the late, late part of the race, and it was uh, – <laughs> I talked to uh, Virginia after the race. She's like, she's like, oh yeah, that's just like a warm-up race for us. <laughs> We're just getting in the groove. I'm like, oh my god. It it, it did yeah. seem like this year a lot of the Texas teams did really well in the second half. They don't they didn't seem to fade all that much as a as a collective whole. It was interesting to see. Yeah, uh, they uh, uh, when the Binions passed us on Cook, uh, Wade offered to pay my entry fee if I would do the uh, Texas Water Safari in a USCA C1. And I was like, are, are you insane? What are you? No, I'm not doing that. You're nuts. Those people are tough. It's a whole nother level of tough, man. All right, keep going through the women's results. Well, I was going to just hit, hit the uh, division winners here. Um Mixed division, uh, okay. mixed division. Uh, Mary Schlimmer and Richard Louth, they are the uh, second fastest mixed team ever at fourteen forty four twenty four. How many mixed teams have been under fifteen? Do you know? Uh, yeah, one second. Uh, under sixteen? No, under fifteen. Under fifteen? No, uh, just two. There's two. Okay. Just two. Uh, Mary and Andy in twenty seventeen, and then Rich and Mary this year. How oh, many un- do you have that? Do you have that under sixteen number too, or uh, fifty six have been under 56. sixteen hours. Cool, because there was a good amount that was under uh, under uh, sixteen this year. There's what one, two, three, four, five, six. That looks right. Yes. Sorry, uh, just just putting in little little bits. <laughs> Keep on going. Uh, Masters division champs were Patrick Madden and Steve Watson. They finished ninth overall. Sprint oh. sprint finish with Nick and uh, Serge there. That was a I seen the video of that. That was a great finish, man. Both those teams going at it. Yeah, that was really fun to watch. I was actually at the finish line for that. Uh, Nick and Serge made up a lot of time in the last few uh, segments to to make it a race. Gotcha, man. That that yeah, Masters division is so competitive because. Jason and Colin finished 12th and 
at one point they were just on fire, you know, moving up and, and looking good. So, yeah, that's three really fast boats, ninth, 10th, and 12th in that division. Yeah, and they're, plus, plus the 16th team overall, Russ Reeker, Tad Hill, they were under 15 hours as well as a Masters team. Yeah. Yeah, looking at the results, um, Nick and, and and Serge were like almost seven minutes back uh, at McKinley, and at Loud they're still four four and a half back. So yeah, they definitely came in strong in that second half. Yeah, the interesting part, um, Patrick and Steve and Nick and Serge, they were the fourth and fifth fastest Masters times of all time. And mm-hmm. Patrick and Steve are the fastest Masters team to not win. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Um, and then the seniors division, uh, Eric Batway, Mike Bradford, uh, obliterating the senior record at 15 flat foot and 42 seconds. The previous se- senior record was, uh, what, 15-21? So... I, I- I, I got to throw this out there in case Eric's listening, because he may or may not be. But if you get a 15.0042, do you come back and chase the 14.59.59? Because the backstory behind that is, is there was a year with Chris Herrick where they were 16.01, if I remember right. And all he wanted was a 15.59.59, and he would have retired and been done after that year. So do you just walk away with your 15.042, or do you keep going for a sub-15 now? <laughs> well, I, th- I think they've both shown that they can accomplish it. So, I mean, it's worth a shot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The uh, veterans division, Fred Mills and Tim McClure, they obliterated the veterans record. At 15.52 flat, the previous veterans record was 16.09.06. So took quite a few minutes off of that record as well. They were in the fastest true unmolested hassle in the field, right? I believe that's correct. <laughs> unmolested. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to, how else do you, web calls just the hacked hassle. Hacked hassle. Yeah, it has the, okay. the the front end of the John Webb's hassle is rounded, kind of like a C1, instead of the you know almost pointed tip of a normal hassle. And I believe he said he extended the the back so the back seat would slide further back. Uh, looked like the improvements he made made that boat pretty fast because you know John and and Dan uh, Mecklenburg they finished 26. Okay. Interesting. That's that's it. We we didn't see was there two or three hassles this year. One thing I don't have open in front of me. Uh, three, I believe. Ah, you're good, man. Not important. Not important. Carry on. Youth adult division was won by Zachary Childs and Ryan Childs. They were also the champs in 2019. They finished 28th overall, making significant improvement over their best finish. The uh, rookie champions were Dan Goltz and Judson Steinbach. Uh, they're both from Wisconsin. They finished 31st overall. And then the uh, mixed masters champions were as uh, Kira Stolen and Fred Kiefer out of Minnesota, and they finished 32nd overall. And the mixed seniors division, Rebecca Suter and Rodney Elliott, 56th overall. 
Awesome. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Con- congrats to all the division winners. Um, I got to circle back real quick uh, and just say Texas ladies came and absolutely dominated the just cleaned house. Didn't they sweep all three of the, the women's positions this year? Yes, they did. That's uh, no, nuts. Yeah, they they showed up ready to go and paddled very well. There's there's a lot of good stuff coming out of Texas, so there is. So let's jump into uh, broken records. <laughs> whatever sound of yeah, we need a soundboard for the show, man. Broken records time. What do we have? How many were how many were broken? How many teams were under like 15, 16 hours? Things like that, man. Fill us in because that's what the people want to know. Well, I'm, as, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I'm still doing everything, um, but I have gotten through a bulk of it. And so far, 190 records have been broken uh, this year. Um, we had 65 place records, you know, so like the fastest team to finish 10th or whatever. 65 of them were broken. 16 male I, I age like records. I would like the record to show 61st fastest team ever, Mahaffey and Ecker. Can you race world? <laughs> Yeah, carry on. <laughs> we, had, we had 16 male age records broken this year. Uh, four mixed male, uh, I mean, male paddling mixed division age records broken. Six women's division age records broken. Uh, seven females paddling mixed age records broken. And then, you know, in the, the, the meat of it, we had 12 division split times bro- broken. Those were all by. Uh, Jordan and Matt, and then we had three uh, pro point-to-point records broken by uh, Jordan and Matt, and we had one by Weston Weston. We had three mixed division point-to-point records broken uh, by Mary and uh, Rich. Uh, Two masters point-to-point records were broken, uh, one by Walton and Serge, and the other by Patrick and Steve. and Actually, Patrick and Steve tied a record. Excuse me. Uh, Twelve seniors split time records, all by Eric and Eric Batway, Mike Bradford. Six seniors point-to-point records were broken, uh, one of which was by Paul Olney and Mike Freeze. Uh, for the veterans, uh, we had 15 veteran split times broken, uh, pretty much after Burton's landing, Fred and Tim just obliterated the record book. And then six senior, uh, I mean, veterans point-to-point records. We had two All-Michigan records broken, uh, the one by West and Weston, and then another by Pete Mead and Carson Burnmeister. Uh, Eleven women seniors uh, split times were broken uh, by Helen, uh, Helen Holly Crouch and Debbie Brax. Um, they broke every record up until loud, or up until, or up until including loud. Excuse me. Uh, and then five women seniors point to points as well. Uh, we had one mixed masters record broken uh, by Fred Kiefer and Kira Stolen. Seven mixed veterans records broken uh, by Gary Apria, Gloria Wesley. Um, so yeah, lots of records broken this year, and and I'm still working on updating them. I haven't even got to the you know fastest paddlers from each part of the country or or part of the world. Um, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Kevin, you do have the fastest time for a Florida paddler now. 
I yeah, I I I I did take a look at that. So <laughs> put, put an asterisk next to that. He's not Florida born, Florida native. He just moved there. I don't, I'm not sure he qualifies. Asterisk asterisk. <laughs> tell, tell Eve that his previous record is safe as a French Canadian that was residing in Florida. It's okay. <laughs> One record I thought was pretty cool that actually Greg Zofi pointed out to me. Uh, Maria Schilling, she's done four marathons, and Every single one of her marathons, her partner has set an age record. You know, in 2017 with Eo Harberts, and then 2018 with Ryan Peterson, and then 2019 with Greg Zofi, although that it was eclipsed this year by Jeff Kolka in, in 2021. And then Marie and Lynn, you know, Lynn set the age record this year for the age she was at. So a nice little shout out to Maria because yeah. that's a pretty impressive thing as a, yeah. as a partner. Yep, for sure. Absolutely. Maria, if you're out there, come on, let's do it. 2023 is my year. You can, you and me, you can make more records, right? <laughs> I think we should warm up in 2022, though. Practice round. Don't put that pressure on me because I, I forget what it is for me in 2022, but it's really tough. But 2023, <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, def- definitely big props to Maria for that. That is uh, that is quite in a uh, going back to our uh, last episode, you know, um, talking about the team aspect of uh, canoe racing. And, uh, you know, there there is a, a great teammate to have. Yeah, we, we spent some time with her and Lynn, um, who also uh broke a tie with rick joy if i'm understanding correctly for the most pro finishes and lynn is an incredible paddler in and of her own right but we spent some time sharing some time with with lynn and maria and i went i you know what i'd love to do a race with either of those people right yeah good people to be around good people to paddle with then yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah, lynn, lynn's name's in a lot of places in the record book you know she like you said broke the tie with rick joy for most pro finishes she has the most overall finishes. She's tied for the most starts with Al Whiting. She's had 41 consecutive starts, which is a record that may never get touched. It's just, you know. <laughs> she's, she's had more consecutive starts than I've been years alive, man. Yeah, that is same. <laughs> same for all three awesome. of us. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yep. And then oh. uh, one, of, one of the more impressive records uh, out there, Mike Guerin continued his streak of 22 and now 22 consecutive finishes uh and i remember growing up that was the one record everyone talked about because back then you know al and rick and and serge all had 16 and then mm-hmm. you know lynn eventually broke that and then mike mike has eclipsed her at, at 22 and you know I, I can only i can only imagine the kind of inherent pressure that his partners must have you know not wanting to let him down with that that streak going Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's too much pressure for me. Like full disclosure, I'm I'm a little fragile like that. I don't I don't think I can handle that pressure, man. Do you <laughs> want to be the one that causes Mike Aaron to lose his? And I'm sure he'd be very humble about it, right? Like he understands that things happen in this race, but still, that mm-hmm. would you just feel awful. Well, he he's had some things that have happened that have almost caused him. You know, I remember a broken seat with Tim Chapel one year and. And I believe a partner got like impaled by a stick one year. Uh, so I mean, he's had some things happen in his his career that have almost broke the streak. But you know, he's he's finished every race he's started, and he's also got that streak. I don't call him Iron Mike or Crazy Mike for nothing. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. And, and a great guy at that. But yeah, absolutely. So what what yeah. other awards like that that we have this year? Yes, let's let's dive down that road, man. But before before we get in that, can can I ask how many uh the the fifteen hour sixteen hour? I think we kind of scooted past that. Oh, I'm, what? I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, how many teams? So I'm looking at the results. It looks like sixteen teams finished under fifteen hours this year. What was the previous record for that? Thirteen teams 13? set in 1994. And what about like sixteen? And I don't know if we want to go down to seventeen. Um, I'd have to confirm, but I'm pretty sure you know, we had 39 teams break 16 hours, and I'm pretty sure that's a record. That's one I haven't got to yet, though. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, you know the the one yeah, I, I the one women's team under, breaking, under 17 hours. Go ahead. I was gonna say the one women's team breaking 16 hours. That's that's still incredible to me because that that's a really hard time for uh, women's teams to break for some reason, and and you know. It's just, it's incredible in my opinion. I'm sorry, I'm kind of tripping on my words here. But. Yeah, is how no, many that's, teams? That's, that's okay, man. It, that, it, it, the sub 16 hour mark is a tough accomplishment for anybody. Right. Uh, and to have a women's team do it, you got to throw them props because I. And this is a good thing maybe for you to look up, but how many teams have actually been sub 16 in the in the women's division? Any uh, idea? Ten in the history of the race. Just ten teams. Ten? Ten. Okay, awesome. so ten teams. To, to, to put this in perspective, because I think this is what you're going for. Ten teams in the history of the race for the women's division have went sub-16 hours. They're in rare air, right? Like, that's yeah. an elite, elite stat. Uh, that, that team, we paddled a bit with them in 2019. Rodney and I did. Um, and they're good. They know their way around the river, and they're going to continue to get better. That's what's so crazy. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations, they were also in a JD Pro 2. <laughs> were they? JD Pro 2? There, there you go, man. Yes. Diller, if you're out there, we need an endorsement deal. JD Pro 2. Hmm. <laughs> So I, I, that totally got us off tangent. We were talking about, I think, like I think we we're gonna hit on uh, titanium paddler and stuff like that now. Yeah, mad props to Bill Taranjo earning his titanium paddler award this year. Um, for those of you who don't know, it it means 30 pro finishes in the marathon. Uh, he was the fourth paddler to earn the titanium behind Al Whiting, uh, Lynn Whitty, and Rick Choi. Boy, you and get then, 30 pro finishes in the marathon. You take the titanium and put it in your shoulder to rebuild it. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. A very, very elite company. And then uh, there was how many new uh, iron paddlers? There, were, there was five new iron paddlers this year. Uh, we had, oh, sorry, um, Danny, uh, Danny Medina, Joe Lusby, Nick Lysick, Eo Harberts, and Jerry Killingbeck. Cool. Now, how many is that a typical amount of uh, new iron paddlers? Or yeah, we usually get around four to five every year now. Gotcha. What about is there is there a, a gold paddler? I mean, or I don't know what you. Yeah, what, what the, where do you go from titanium? Is it double iron or is it like yeah? 
there's iron that's 10 finishes steel that's 20 finishes okay. and then titanium at 30 and then you know pretty soon we're going to need something for 40 because Lin, lynn's almost at 40 finishes <laughs> wow yeah. yeah what do you even what do you even call that how, how many finishes does lynn have now because she set that record broke rick joy um Total, she has 39, but the amateur races don't count for the... Don't count, right? Uh, yep. For, for, only for the Iron Paddler Award, they don't count. Um, but she has 35 pro finishes. Gotcha. You got a little bit of time to think up what you're going to call that, but I wouldn't waste too much time because she's going to be there, like, tomorrow. <laughs> so... All right. Is there is there anything else we want to touch on before we get into uh, the the other points that we're going to talk about in the uh, in the show? Other than how crazy fast the water was after the north and south branches came in. <laughs> I mean, well, yes. I, you just you just took the words. I I kind of opened my mouth. Ah, uh, like how do you even say that? Could say that again for the listeners, Ryan, because that needs to be repeated. The, the river after the north and south branches, you know, came into the mainstream was crazy fast the whole whole rest of the way. And it was very, very apparent uh, between Mayo and McKinley, especially. Um, we had 15 teams break the 148 point to point time, which is like a, a general, you know, it's like the rule of thumb. If if you want to be really fast in that that stretch, 148 is right around the the time to beat. And you know, there's never been more than five to break that record in any given year. And we had 15 break it this year. It's just a testament to how much that river was just cranking after all that rain came through. Yeah, it was. Uh, it definitely. Uh, um, well, I think. I don't know if a bunch of other paddlers knew it, but um, from the paddlers I've talked to, we all knew that the water had come up, but we didn't know how much it came up until, like, I'll be like, when I was uh, pulling into the finish, I thought that uh, with how the race went for me, I thought we were um, battling to stay under um, 17 hours, not 16 hours. <laughs> So, um, to see, to see the finish time, uh, just cracking under 16 hours, I was, uh, I was, I was surprised. Um, but I, you know, but it's, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, I'm not familiar with the river, so I don't really, it's kind of, that's one of those things that's kind of hard for me to tell because I'm, I haven't been on most of those, most of that stretch of river, uh, unless it's race day, you know, and last time I raced was like four years ago, so. It's actually something I was I was having a conversation with uh, John Sullivan on Alcona Dam, kind of about this because he raced the '94 when it was stupid high, and you know back then the the river was overflowing the banks and a lot of you know like you could tell it was high, but this year, you know there wasn't a whole lot of places where the water looked high. You know there there wasn't docks underwater, and there you know there wasn't landings that were totally washed out. But the river was just fast. Like the flow was really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting because you guys always you you do your gauges by the flow, um, the discharge, correct? 
Yeah, um, that's that's what we generally, you know, so, the best best metric we have to base stuff off of is the current flow. Yeah, because that's interesting. Because like um, uh, at like my uh, the river that I have here, we have I don't even think they have flow, but they have uh, they they it's a depth gauge. So you know, and I know the um, Susquehanna, there's they have both the depth gauge and the flow, and uh, and so it's 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 interesting when you see you know um, sometimes you can have higher water and not as much flow, um, but it really just depends on the weather conditions prior to the recording, I would think. So I would I would have to. And that may be a good show to get to. I've got a couple of buddies with the USGS, the United States Geological Survey, that, that actually run those meters. Um, they would be the ones that we'd really want to talk to as far as that stuff goes, the, the true water geeks. Um, but the way that it's been explained to me, Kevin, with the Asable is that depth does not automatically equate to flow here in that the way that our water table works in the area. Oftentimes what will happen is the water will stack up um, and it won't actually immediately start to move out of the system. And then we also have some, I don't want to call it manipulation, but we have some man-made factors there with the dams along the way that can really input what's going on as to whether the water is moving or not moving. And that water this year was just absolutely ripping coming out of that dams, man. But we got all that rain, right? And water in has to equal water out. So what do you do? They got to let it run. And and they had two dams open because they were doing construction on them. So, you know, loud and five channels were wide open just dumping water because there was construction going on at both of them. So that contributed a bit, too. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I did not realize that, but yeah, that that absolutely does contribute. That the dams play a factor in it, in this. So yeah, the Consumers Energy title sponsor of the Salva River Canoe Marathon dams. That's correct. Now, let's let's. You guys ready to get into boat boat talk? Yeah, let's absolutely. let's do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, this is the first time uh, JD Pro 2 has ever won the marathon. Am I correct in that, Ryan? To the best of my knowledge, that's correct. I uh, only started keeping track in 2014, though. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so it's interesting to know. So basically the data we have is from 2014 and on um, then. Uh, um, so what did you notice about the, the boats? Um that was different than years past uh well i mean in 2019 the top 10 was almost entirely corbin's and this year it wasn't Uh, that was the biggest uh initial takeaway i had there's a lot fewer teams racing a corbin this year um you know and there's still quite a few teams running a corbin don't get me wrong but you know the we had JD Pro 2, JD Pro 3, a Diller 2020, you know, uh, in the in the top ten as well. Yeah, and we, and we and even we, that that's an interesting observation about the Corbin Ryan, in that even when you go further down in the field, the number of Corbins does not seem 
and I've never actually counted them up, but it does not seem nearly as high as what it has been in the past. It's that's the fewest Corbins that have been ran in the race as a whole since 2014. Shazam! Was, I was just eyeballing it, man. That's there. There was 14 Corbin 95s and three Corbin 2010s this year, and yeah, that's the lowest since 2014. Is now, it okay? Um, there was also a lot of new votes in the in the race this year. Because um, we had our GRB boat, um, we had the there was the um, Boardman boat. Yeah, the Boardman Boardman V1. And then yeah, uh, mad props to Adam. Uh, Boardman Boat Works, man. He worked hard on that boat, and that's impressive to see his you know his very first V1 that he's put out. You know, make it the whole way. That's that's crazy. Good for him. We had uh, three of the Diller Pro 2020. Um, we had an old design used for the first time, the uh, Hanson HS6. Um, you know, we had four JD Pro 3s. Those have only been used since 2019. Uh, we had one Sawyer Champion, which very old design, but neat that it was raced this year. Uh, only three Gillies this year, and of course, yeah, that that. The GRB CK 2020. Yeah, so um, so it's interesting to note that you know I'd like to like to talk a little bit more about the the JD2 and the Corbin and this um, and and we can add other boats into this conversation, but um, the conversation of how uh, a boat should be um, chosen by the characteristics of the the team and not because of that it's, quote-unquote, the fastest boat out there. Um, my personal opinion is that each team, I mean, we kind of got a sense of this last, uh, last episode when we were talking with uh, Jordan and Matt, but um, each team is going to have their own, like, you know, characteristics and you know their um things they're good at and things that they aren't so good at so um and we kind of alluded to this in that show too but you know i i think it, it you know looking at the results now i think it opens up this conversation even more that um a boat really should be picked based on you know what your team's uh attributes are as opposed to just picking the Corbin, because until this year it was the you know set out as the fa- you know the fastest design. Um, what are your guys' take on that? Well, it de- the Corbin definitely has the the reputation for being you know the the top design, but I think the last couple of years, as you as you said, there's some teams that are finding that it might work for the you know the team that takes first but it, it might not work best for them so you you see some other teams branching out for what's more comfortable for them or what's a little bit faster for them um you know and jordan and jordan and matt you know in, in your previous show they, they picked the boat because it was comfortable the seat was comfortable um wes and weston i believe if i remember correctly they were originally in a Corbin, and they switched to the JD Pro because they JD Pro Two because they found they were faster in it. You know, it's a little bit of like that. Teams are just finding 
which boats are working better for them. Yeah, I I think that uh, I think teams are more willing to look and and switch and try to find a boat that that works for them. We're we're in an era now where people test things more, right? We we've got a lot more data. We've got GPS technology that allows us to jump into boat design and go, hey, this boat is two-tenths of a mile an hour faster than that boat for us specifically. Um, And I think that that comes into play. You've also got a lot more boat designs. You've got teams kind of branching out, things like that. I, I do want to be careful, though, in that I think Jordan and Matt, West and West, well, like these guys could have probably did exactly what they did in a Corbin as well. I, I don't think right. if you take them out of the boats that they were in, it, it changes the outcome. But what it does is it changes the dialogue, changes the conversation that we're now having in that, mm-hmm. hey, it's, it's a whole new world, baby. Um, work, what, run what works for you. So. Yeah, but but what I but Bill, what, what I think is not that it might necessarily change some of these you know placings that we talk about a lot in you know the the top ten or whatnot. Uh, you know, it, especially if they're tried and true, um, you know, designs um, like these two boats are. Um, I think it's more s- speaking to the 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 rest of the field. Um, you know, cause I, I, I distinctly remember when I was paddling, uh, with, uh, Matt Palmer for the Clinton and we tested, we, we tested the Corbin against the JD pro two and we were faster in the JD pro two and we were faster because in, well, this is our hypothesis at the time was because the JD pro, I mean, the Corbin was just too twitchy for us like we we didn't have the balance in that boat that we did in the jd2 um so we were you know you're a little hesitant um in in going for it um in the corbin as opposed to the jd2 now i'm not saying anything bad about a corbin i think corbin's you know it's it's tried and true and we all know that it's a fast boat i'm just saying that it might not be the best the best boat for a specific team um, you know, oh, absolutely. And I, I I agree with that completely. I I think I I mentioned that in the last episode, I I'm a firm believer that there is a lot of teams out there racing Corbin 95s that would be much better off in different boats. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like for, for whatever reason though, Hey, the, it's like NASCAR, right? The Chevy wins the Daytona 500. People run out and buy Chevys. Um, right. Well, the the Corbin has won the marathon, and everybody runs out and buys Corbins. I I think we're seeing the same effect right now with the JD Pro 2. Everybody <gasps> wants the JD Pro 2 because it won the marathon. Literally, there's a post on the buy-sell trade. Who yeah. has the JD Pro 2? And yeah. the first comment is, yeah, you and everybody else wants one. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And that's what's that's what's so funny about it. But, you know, that's why I'm trying to, you know, stand up and say, hey, it's not necessarily, you know, you you should be buying a boat that's best suited for you. <laughs> not, yeah, not, by, just cause. not not just the boat that won by the boat that is best suited for you. I like that. I, I think that's very accurate. So I now, do a little bit of interesting feedback I've been getting, you know, 
people have been asking me questions about the canoe data because they know I keep track of it. Um, some of the feedback, and, and I've heard of, from about half a dozen paddlers, and um, I don't know if this is just coincidence, but all, all these paddlers happen to live on the East Coast. Um, they all said pretty much the same thing, that you know it was a good thing, the, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's a good thing that the river was high this year because the JD Pro is not a shallow water boat. It doesn't, you know, and I don't know if that's just their opinion or like a stigma or what have her, but it's just been interesting feedback about that model in particular. You know, it, it crushed the, Man, see, the I record. Don't, but. I don't, yeah, I don't see that. I've, I've spent enough time in a JD Pro 2 that my opinion, and this is purely the opinion of Bill Mahaffey, mid-pack bum, uh, I've spent enough time in a JD Pro 2 that I think it's actually fast in the shallow water. Like, that's where I like that boat. Um, the, the Burton's to Stefan, Stefan to Wakely kind of stuff. That's, that's home. Like it, it doesn't need deep water. What Kevin, what's your take? You raced one, right? I did race one and I thought it was, um, was good in the shallows myself. Um, I remember me and Joe racing it, um, at the Clinton and, uh, we, we were able to make up a good amount of time in that second half in the shallows, uh, you know, in the second half of the course, um, and, uh, but I think, I think, I mean, I don't know that for me, the shallow, <laughs> when you start talking about shallows, you have to kind of like have a secondary conversation of what type of shallows, because you have rock bottom shallows and you have sandy bottom shallows and you have grassy shallows. So they, they all do different things to a boat. Yeah. So, all, all shallows are not equal. Right, exactly. And and when someone's referring to shallows, are they talking about one foot shallow or are they talking three foot shallow? You know, those are two totally different, you know, you, t- you start talking three feet, you start talking about you're in intermediate water and someone might call that shallow. Whereas when you're talking, you know, under two feet, now you're talking really shallow. Yeah, are, are you in pop water? Are you in exactly. intermediate suck water? Like, can we can we define your version of shallow? Right. You know, is is there current with the shallow, or is it stagnant shallow? Right. Yeah, that's another. That's a whole another you know aspect of it, and and that's another thing. You know, like um, some boats, you know, are just extremely hard in the in that intermediate water, but then they might be able to pop. You know, in the in the um, you know, in the really shallow water. Yeah. Whereas in yeah. other boats might just kind of not not dog down as much in the intermediate water and might not pop as well in the in the shallow water. But they might feel better to the paddler um, paddling them because they don't bog down as much in the in the intermediate water. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. So. Hey. Very much. So what other, hey, Ryan, what other, uh, like, little queries or tidbits are you getting as far as boats? I'm sure everybody works Ryan Matthews for any information <laughs> they get on boats, man. So spill it, dude. Spill it. Uh, you know, most of the time people are asking me, you know, what specific paddlers are using or, or how they perform in the top, you know, 15 or or whatnot. This year, the, the there was a lot of questions about the JD Pro 3, actually. Um, and... You know, Mike and Shane did really well with it. I believe they switched to it 
after spring testing or spring training, I mean. And, you know, the that, that's been the boat, you know, asked about most often to me this year with the JD Pro 3. That, that is the boat, like, just so you know, that's the one. Like, Barton Farms loves that boat to the point where I've almost broke down and committed to a brand new one. Uh, the the Pro 3 seems to be the boat, so it does. I'm dying to LJ. I know you listen, man. I wanna I wanna paddle your boat sometime. LJ Bourgeois has one. Sorry, folks. Yeah, LJ's been begging me to paddle in it um, since the marathon. I shouldn't say begging, but he's asked a few times. And uh, what what are you waiting for? Get out there, man. I got records to update first, and then I'll get yeah, out there. Yeah, those those can wait. You can paddle it to be hate. Real quick, speaking of LJ, he's doing a great thing, uh, trying to organize something on the uh, Skoda end, the lower yes. end of the river. Uh, real quick shout out to him in that. Tuesdays and Thursdays, trying to get some new blood involved, trying to get some new people. If you're out there listening to the show and you're going, hey, I'd really like to try a racing canoe, this is your chance, right? Now is the time. And he's put it out there and put together a group. Find him on Facebook, on social media, and go do it. Hey. I would also like to throw out there to just uh, anyone that's listening that um, if you are looking to get into canoe racing and you don't know where to go or reach out to me or Bill, um, we will do our best to try to um, – I, I have uh, people every every now and again reach out to me um, to know if they have uh, – if, if I know of anyone in their local area. Um and so we're more than welcome to, uh, more than willing to help anyone uh, get started in the sport. So, um, yeah, it's great that what LJ is doing. Um, I, I wish more uh, more areas would do it. Um, if you're down here in uh, South, uh, you know, Mid South Florida, Tampa, you know, Lower Tampa Bay area, um, hit me up. <laughs> uh, even if you're not, you absolutely, can point Ryan, in are the you right gonna... direction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. for sure. Are you going to be out there on Tuesday next week, Ryan? Or I'm on call for work, but other than that, I fully intend to be out there Tuesday. And I'm actually teaching someone on Monday as well, um, a friend of mine who has shown interest, but scheduling kind of doesn't allow it for Tuesday. So I'm going to take her out of my C1 and, and just let her get the feel for sitting in the boat and paddling around a little bit. Step one, this is a paddle. This is how you hold it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. That's... Get, that, get that first tip out of the way because it's almost <laughs> a rite of passage. And... Yeah, every everybody's afraid of like tipping. I don't want to tip in front of people. No, it happens. Trust me, I've did a lot. It, uh, pretty good at it. Just don't break the gunnels when you do it, okay? <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually got a pretty funny story about my first tip over in uh, C1. I... Um, I just finished the uh, my second General Clinton with my dad, um, and I was like, ah, I'm gonna try the C1. You know, uh, I'd only done competition cruise, which was the four by thirty-two, was the boat we had, and uh, and then my dad had a C1, so we go out to the marina, you know, the week after the Clinton, and I sit in it, and I put like, you know, I'd just done the seventy miler. I'm like, ah, I got this. I put in two strokes 
and then I ran straight into a boat parked in the marina, and I just went, did, did I just hear that right? You ran into a boat parked in a marina? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a boat that was like, you know, 10, 15 feet away from me from where I put in. I put two strokes in, like, oh, and then, you know, it's like, it's like those kids that you just, That's... like, they're riding a bike, and then the bike suddenly, you know, just slowly, you know, comes to a stop and then tips over. Okay. I slowly went, and I'm like, I saw it happen. I'm like, oh, I, I, I can't control this. I, I'm going straight for this boat. And doo, beep. <laughs> that's awesome man that is great professional canoe racer uh founder of canoe race world.com paddles right into a that is epic i i have a, i have a tip tip story from uh this year c1 actually the only tip i have all year in the c1 um so jim from penrods and i uh, Penrod's canoe livery in, in Grayling, for those of you that don't know, huge, huge supporter of canoe racing. Uh, we can't say thank you enough to that guy. Um, let's us host and start the, the canoe marathon sprints on his property. We, we use it nonstop as canoe paddlers, this, that, and the other, but we paddle about the same basic loop. Um, he comes down from his property, turns around a point. I start at my house, go down, turn around a point, and we, we both paddle back up. There was a day where I was riding his wake, just enjoying it, like not even working hard. Like this is what Bill does when Bill trains sometimes. He just like the river's pretty, man. And I paddle down and I paddle back up. So I'm riding his wake back up, not even working at all. Like go past the Lucy's, a wave to the Lucy's, having a good time. Jim's working hard. He's pulling me because I'm not doing anything on his wash. And all of a sudden, I just randomly lose it and go, sploosh! And all I could hear was the laughter. <laughs> and Bill, are you all right? Yeah, I'm good, Jim. I just screwed up, man. <laughs> funny. Yeah, only time I've tipped all year in the C1. <laughs> right. So, Ryan, what's your best, what's your, maybe that's a good way to, like, wrap up the episode. What's your best tip story, man? Oh, the last time I did the Curly C1 race, I tipped over in warm-ups, and the race was delayed while I swam the boat to the rock island there and got back in and got back in line. So uh, I also tipped at the very end of the last Mayo C1 race I did. I was just crossing the finish line. I looked behind me to see how far back the next guy was and bloop right over. (laughs) It happens, you know, everyone on shore got a good laugh, but. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to tip, man, tip where everybody's watching, and uh, hopefully they have cameras so they can memorialize it for you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right well, hey, I, I think that's a great note to like end this episode. Thanks for being on, Ryan. Um, I, I appreciate all that you're doing. I know you got a lot of work to do with the, uh, the results, but on, on that note, I think we should probably let it go with everybody tips sometimes. Everybody tips sometimes. All right. Thank, thanks, Ryan. And thank you, guys. It's a great as always, and I hope you have me on again in the future. Yeah, most definitely, man. Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com, and don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling. Keep paddling.